can have a seat and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're picking it up this morning. So in the Jennings home, we are facing a new challenge this semester. Luke and Gracie, my seven-year-old twins, they want to sleep in on Sundays and not come to church. And it's kind of hard to blame them because here they are, seven years old, and they have to wake up early and go to school five days a week. And then Gracie has volleyball games at 8 a.m. on Saturday. And so they're just exhausted by the time that Sunday morning rolls around. And so I will tell them on Saturday night, tomorrow morning, we got to get dressed and get ready and go to church. And they will always ask the same thing. Why? Daddy, why? We have our Bibles right here by our beds. We could just read our Bibles and then pray together and then play Minecraft. Why can't we do that, Daddy? And, and that's been an interesting conversation to have with them. Um, on some days, I'm just really tired, so I just say, because I said so, and we leave it there. But on my better days, I'll sit down with them and talk with them. And, and the upside of this new challenge is it's forced me to kind of ask that question. Because you realize we live in a a really amazing new age of humanity. You can sit in your bedroom in your underwear and you can watch some of the greatest sermons ever given on YouTube. And you can listen to worship music on Spotify. And you can give your offering electronically online. And you can communicate with other believers through Facebook. So why do you need to come here? Why put forth all of the trouble to come together as a body on Sunday morning. It's been fascinating for me to really think deeply about that over the last few weeks as my kids have been asking these questions. Well, I found a lot of answers in the Bible, far too many for one sermon. So this morning we're going to focus on the simple and compelling answer that Paul gives us in the first half of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. Why do we go to church on Sunday mornings? The answer is simple, because the church needs us. That's why you get up, put on your clothes, and come here. Because the church needs us. And by us, I don't mean the Jennings. I mean you, and you, and you, and Luke, and Gracie, and me. The church, Grace Bible Church, needs each and every one of us here and engaged if grace is going to become all that God wants it to be. Let me prove that to you. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump all the way to the end of our passage this morning and read the conclusion. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that's the church, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body, the local church, for the building up of itself in love. So how does this church, Grace Bible Church, this particular local church, how do we grow up to be like Jesus? Well, Paul says explicitly in verse 16, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, that is each and every one of you, without exception. As each and every individual who is part of Grace Bible Church engages and does our part, the church as a whole grows up and becomes mature and becomes like Jesus. So grace needs each and every one of us doing our part if grace is going to become all that God intends for it to be. But that begs a second question. Why do we care 
of Grace Bible Church becomes all that God intends it to be? Well, there's no better way to answer that question than a quote I heard years ago from a guy named Bill Hybels, one of the leaders of the modern church. I think he's really summarized it well. Why do we care that grace becomes all it's meant to be? It says, because the local church is the hope of the world. The hope of the world is not government, academia, business, but the church because it is to the church that God has entrusted the message of salvation, which truly changes people's lives and hearts. The local church, like Grace Bible Church, we are the hope of the world. And this is particularly a week where we need to remember that. Because we have just had another national tragedy. This massacre in Las Vegas following on the heels of huge hurricanes. We live in a world that is grieving. That is just full of suffering and evil everywhere you look. And in the midst of all of that chaos and evil, you got to ask, what hope is there? This. A local church gathering together. This is the hope of the world. Grace Bible Church gathering together is the hope of the world because we have the gospel that saves people and we have the spirit and the word of God that transforms sinners into saints. We have the only hope of the world. That's why Jesus said to us, you are the light of the world. And he said later to us in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We, the local church, we are the hope of the world. And so that brings us to our answer. Why should you bother coming to church on Sunday mornings? Because the world needs Grace Bible Church and Grace Bible Church needs you. It's as simple as that. The world needs you to get up on Sunday morning and come here and be part, an engaged, active part of this local church. We are the hope of this world. And so we must come together to be the blessing that God has called us to be. Grace can't be that hope and light for the world unless we each, every one of us, do our individual parts. If we stay home, if we stay disengaged, then Grace Bible Church will fade into irrelevance like so many churches have in our country. 2016 Gallup poll found that 72% of Americans say the influence of religion on American life is decreasing. It's probably not a surprise to you. What they're saying is that the church is becoming less and less relevant to American society. Now, some of that is the fault of our culture and and changes in our culture that we can't control. But I think most of the fault lies with us, with Christians, who have allowed selfishness and worldliness to keep us distracted, to keep us from engaging with the local church so that the church can become the hope that our nation needs us to be. Well, we don't want Grace Bible Church to fade into irrelevance. We want the exact opposite to happen here. We want Grace Bible Church to become a brighter and brighter beacon of hope to the world. But that will only happen if each and every one of us in this room plays our part. And so, what, what is your part to play? As an individual part of this body, what does God want you to do so that Grace Bible Church can be all that he wants it to be, so that it can be this hope of the world? Well, Paul gives us two answers to that. Two things that you individually need to do to play your part in this family. So, 
let me introduce you to these two things Paul wants us to do. The first step to playing your part at Grace Bible Church is to pursue unity with other believers. Look with me. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter. Okay, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, actually. We won't get to verse 7 yet. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, now verse 1 is really a theme verse for the whole rest of Ephesians. Ephesians is a really interesting book. I don't know any other book in the Bible that divides up quite so neatly. I I guess this is why I love the book. It's so orderly, like totally appeals to an engineer like me. So exactly half of it, the first three chapters is all doctrine. It's all about what Christians should know. But then right here, verse one of chapter four, it shifts and chapters four, five, and six are all about action. What Christians should do based on all the truths they've learned in chapters one through three. It's real orderly. And so Paul is saying, because of all of these wonderful truths you have learned in chapters one through three about what Jesus has done for you in calling you and making you part of this family, as a result, now, what should you do? Action number one, live worthy. Live worthy of that calling. That's a big word. What does it mean to, to live worthy? Well, it doesn't mean pay it back. I think sometimes that can come to people's minds. Okay, I've been given this great thing. I need to live worthy of it. I need to, to pay it back over time. You will never pay back salvation. You will never pay back God's grace. So don't even try. That's not what worthy means. Worthy is the idea of, of living in the same way as Okay, so as God has treated you, living worthy means you treat others like he has treated you. So God was loving to you, now you be loving to others. God was gracious to you, now you be gracious to others. God has been good to you, now you be good to others. That's what a worthy life looks like. It's like you are looking at God in a a mirror. You are acting like him towards other people. So God wants you to live this worthy life where your behavior towards others matches his behavior towards you. And then Paul unpacks that worthy life in verses 2 and 3. He, he describes this worthy life and the essence of it, the core of it, is unity. That's the big idea of these first six verses. To live worthy is to pursue unity with other believers, unity in in this family, in this body. So Paul calls us to unity. He tells us that we should unify with one another because, verses four through six, there's only one body, meaning one global church, no other church. We're all one big family. There's one Holy Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You've all been united into Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the moment you trusted God. And so because we are one family, Paul's calling us to live that out, to fight for our unity to defend our unity against attack and division. And that is a common theme in the New Testament. If you read through particularly the, the letters of the Apostle Paul, you will see that, that calling over and over again towards unity in the church. And that was a really big deal in the first century. They were really disunified, not too dissimilar to how we are today. 
And so over and over again, we're called to unity. You see it first in Jesus. I don't know if you know this, really cool. Right before he was betrayed, Jesus prayed for you. John chapter 17. It's actually really fun. Go read. That's what he prays over your life. So here's just an excerpt of what Jesus prayed for you. Jesus is asking God the Father, the glory that you, Father, have given me, I have given to them that they, believers, all of us, may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So when you think about Jesus at the right hand of God the Father today. He's there in heaven. He's able to ask his Father for anything. What is he asking for you? Unity. That you would be unified with other believers. That's what Jesus wants for you and and for us. And you see the same thing in Paul. Look at how Paul prays for us. He says, "I, I urge you, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree together to end your divisions and to be unified by the same mind and purpose. Paul is, is pleading with the Corinthian believers to unify with one another and get rid of anything that divides them. So, so the New Testament tells us to fight for unity, to protect it, to guard it, to do whatever it takes for this family to be unified together. That sounds great until you realize that unity always requires sacrifice. That is always true. Anytime one human being wants to unify with another human being, because they are not clones of one another, they're going to have to sacrifice. And you see that in verse 2. Paul describes how you build unity with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That's a beautiful verse until you actually define those words and realize how painful and hard they are. So let's look at those words. Humility and gentleness are like flip sides of the same coin. They go together. They're parallel. Humility and gentleness. um, I think the easiest way to think about what is humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking about yourself less. Can you hear that distinction? So it's not that you think you're just crummy. No, it's spending less time thinking about yourself because you're spending more time thinking about other people. But that takes sacrifice because I'd rather think about myself. I have to give that up to think about other people. The next word, patience, patience. Holy cow, is that hard? Patience means that you're slow to speak. You are slow to get angry. You are slow to defend yourself. You are instead quick to listen and care for others. And then showing tolerance and love. What does that look like? Well, that, that means that you care for and unify with other believers who bother you and that you don't really like. That's what it's getting at. And notice that it adds that in love part. That's important. You just don't grudgingly tolerate them. You actually choose to to sacrificially love and care for them and show them mercy. All of those words are really hard and painful. It takes sacrifice for us to unify together. Each of us must be willing to sacrifice our rights, our, our preferences, our comfort to become one united family with each other. Now, let me take you to the most famous verse in the whole Bible on unity. What does unity look like in the church? Paul tells us in Philippians 2. This one's worth memorizing. 
Philippians 2 verses 3 and then 5 through 8, Paul says, Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Not just your equal, but more important. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something that he had to, be, to grasp or to hold on to, but emptied himself, the sacrifice, emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like men and by sharing in human nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what it takes to be unified. Got to be willing to die. Not just in one huge climactic act, but each and every day. Die to your rights, to your desires, to your comfort, to to your preferences, to instead put others ahead of yourself. Unity requires sacrifice. There is no other way for us to be unified together. So let's get practical. How exactly do we build that sacrificial unity here at Grace Bible Church? What exactly do you as an individual need to do? I'm going to give you two wrong answers and then two right answers. Okay, so first wrong answer. What do you need to do to build sacrificial unity here at Grace Bible Church? Well, some people would say you build unity by getting rid of all denominations and individual churches. I hear that idea a lot. Let's just, let's get rid of denominations. Let's just have one massive church here in town where everybody gathers. Well, That can't happen because there are a lot of Christians here, which is a wonderful thing. There's no building here big enough to fit all of God's people in this town. And even more importantly, a church that big, no group of elders could lead. It would be bad for you. It would be bad for them. We need lots of individual churches in this town. That's just a reality because God has done big things here. That's wonderful. And if we're going to have all of these local churches, it's actually a really good thing for each of those local churches to have its own look, its own feel, its own strategies, its own ministries. That's actually a wonderful thing. Why? Because your God loves diversity. Just for the sake of diversity. How do I know that? I've told you before. Just go scuba diving or snorkeling. Look at what's swimming around a coral reef. God could have made one fish. It would have been completely sufficient to take care of all the needs of fish. And yet he created thousands of different kinds. And they're all radically different. Why did he do that? Because he likes that. God loves diversity. So I believe God is thrilled by the diversity of local churches in this town so long as... We all work together. That's the key. God loves it when different local churches work together. He hates it when we compete or when each church tries to build its own kingdom. He's not into that. But when we sacrificially link arms and work, work together, that's beautiful to God. That's why it, it's been wonderful. I don't know if you guys have, have been paying attention to it, but to see so many local churches in our town and actually all around the state come together to care for the people in Houston and further south who were affected by the hurricane, that's been one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen the local church do. They created a whole website here in town, BCS Helps. This website brings together all of the local churches in this town and everything that they're doing. And all these pastors have said, we don't care whether you do something with your local church or another local church, just work together, find something you can do to help. That's beautiful. God loves that. So we don't need to get rid of denominations or all worship in one big building, which would be crazy. That's not the right answer. Second, wrong answer. To unify, you don't have to agree on everything. That's never going to happen. 
I actually believe you will still have your own preferences and opinions in heaven. You're not going to agree with everybody on everything. Actually, biblically, we only have to really agree on a couple essentials. If you really want to boil it all down, there's only two things that Christians absolutely have to agree on according to the Bible. Number one, the deity of Jesus. First John tells us that, that Christian teachers who do not say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, they are actually in league with the Antichrist, and that's a pretty big deal. So, deity of Christ, you've got to get that right. Second thing you've got to get right, the gospel. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 1, if any religious teacher proclaims a different gospel to you than salvation by faith alone in Jesus' death and resurrection, let him be damned. That's a strong word. That's an essential. Those are the only two essentials I know of. Things you absolutely must agree on to call yourself a Christian. Then we have second level teachings. These are really, really important. We should defend them. We should debate them. We should describe them. But godly Christians can disagree. That would include our particular beliefs about how exactly the Bible works, sanctification works, depravity, original sin, election, end times, baptism, all of these things. They're important and we should debate them and discuss them, but we can still unify with other believers who share our two essentials, even if we disagree on one of these particulars. So you got your essentials, just a couple. Then you have second level beliefs, important but not essential. And then you have everything else. And everything else includes worship styles, whether you like what John Mark is doing up here or not. And and it includes what you think about tattoos and drinking in particular movies. And it includes your political opinions. And it includes your creation views and details of your end times views. And they're all things that you can freely discuss with one another, but you're not allowed to, to divide over any of that stuff. None of those things can become a cause for division in the family of God. And so you don't have to agree on everything to build unity in the body of Christ. I love how Augustine put it. Some of you heard this quote before, a long time ago. Augustine lived like 350 AD. He said, in essentials, he's talking about the church, in essentials, unity. So those couple things, we got to agree on that. In non-essentials, liberty, meaning freedom for each person to hold their view in all things, charity. That's great. You, you treat one another with charity, even in the areas where you disagree. Love that. Okay. So we don't have to get rid of denominations. We don't have to agree on everything. What do we have to do then, each of us as individuals, to build the unity of this body? Well, two things. First, forgiveness. You've got to be willing to forgive believers who have hurt you. This one's really hard. A lot harder than agreeing on political views or theological views. Forgiveness is really hard if somebody has hurt you bad. It's a, it's a really tough step. Now, all of us in this room have been hurt at some point. For many of us, we were hurt by another believer. And, and we do that because we're still human. We, we do wrong things. We say wrong things. We're insensitive. We make mistakes. So we hurt each other. So when you are hurt by another believer, all of a sudden you face a choice, a, a hard choice. Are you going to let that offense go or are you going to hold on to it? And that's the idea of forgiveness. It's important to clarify, forgiving someone doesn't mean that you let them hurt you again. That's not what it's about. Forgiveness means you choose not to rehearse the offense over and over again in your mind. You choose to let it go. I'm not going to think about it. It may come to my mind, but then I I stop. I'm not going to think about that again. Are you willing to let go of an offense, to not think about it anymore, so that you can be reconciled and restored to that believer who hurt you? 
That, that may be a really hard thing that you need help with. That's totally normal for people to need help getting to the point where they can forgive. You might need a counselor or a pastor or, or a leader here to help walk you through the process of forgiveness. It's a big deal. My question for you is are, just are you willing to try to forgive? Even if you feel like forgiveness is impossible right now, will you try? Will you ask God, God, please help me? To forgive that believer who hurt me so I can be reconciled to them. If you don't, if, if you hold on to that offense and don't forgive, it's kind of like somebody threw a wrench in a set of gears. You see, so you got all these gears running well and then a wrench gets thrown in and it grinds to a halt. And, and that's what happens to churches that don't practice forgiveness. The church gets taken over by tension and anger and division and is no longer effective at reaching the world for Christ. So will you ask God for help? To forgive those who have hurt you. Will you try? That's the first step. Second step to building unity. Will you get to know believers who are different than you? That one takes sacrifice because it's not normal for us. It goes against our bent. Humans, you probably have seen this. Humans are bent to attract and be attracted to those who are similar to them. It's easy for us to make friends with people who are like us. And so that's what we tend to do. Well, resisting that bent and making friends with someone who is different than you, that takes work. It's hard to to make friends with someone who is of a different age or life stage than you, a different economic place, a, a different political view, a different race or nationality or language. That takes work. Are you willing to put forth the work? Remember, unity takes sacrifice. So if you look at your circle of friends, think about the people you hang out with are they all exactly like you (laughs) same race same nationality same economic status education level background basically just the same as you i'm not telling you to stop being friends with him but i'm telling you it might be time to take a sacrificial step of initiating with a believer who's different than you that's good for you that's good for the other believer that's good for the church that's how we show the love of christ to the world because the world is really good at making friends with people who look like them let's be different let's reach out and make friends with people who are different so that may mean you need to, to step across the aisle you need to go shake somebody's hand that's different than you invite them to lunch invite them to coffee find some opportunity to hang out with them maybe go hop on bcshelps.org find a work project to go down to houston and Take somebody, invite a believer who's very different than you. The whole way there, the whole way work, and whole way back, you can build a relationship with that person. That builds the unity of the church. So those are what God requires of us, for each of us. We need to try to forgive, and we need to be willing to build friendships in the body with believers who are different. As we do those things, the body grows and becomes all that God wants it to be. Okay, now, step number two. How do you build the body of Christ? What is your part? Well, you use your gifts to serve others. Use your gifts to serve others. Let me illustrate this. Uh, For those of you who uh, don't have kids or, I don't know, didn't enjoy your childhood, this is Mr. Potato Head. Hopefully you you know who this guy is. Mr. Potato Head is a lot of fun. When my kids were young, they loved Mr. Potato Head. So they would take Mr. Potato Head and they would take all of his parts out of his backside where they all hang out and they would lay them all out on the floor and they would assemble Mr. Potato Head and have a lot of fun doing it. There was just one problem. 
it was really easy to lose some of those parts. So like a nose would fall behind the dresser or a pair of lips would get lost in the closet. And that's a problem because without all of his special unique parts, Mr. Potato Head is just a potato and no one wants to play with that. And so it is exactly the same thing in the church. Without all of the unique parts represented by each and every individual here, we are nothing special. The church is this special body of Jesus Christ that he's called us to be only when each and every one of us as unique and special individuals use our gifts to serve one another. So look with me. Let's pick up what Paul is saying in verse 7. This is the big idea of this part of the passage. Verse 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now, this idea of grace being given, of a gift being given, this isn't your salvation. That's not what this verse is about. This is about spiritual gifts that Jesus has given you as a believer, you uniquely and individually. And and we find that out in a few verses. But first, Paul takes a little bit of a theological rabbit trail, verses 8 through 10. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And wow, that is really complicated. (laughs) Somehow talking about Jesus giving us gifts leads Paul to quote Psalms. And he quotes Psalms, and it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what he's doing here. My, one of my professors at DTS actually spent four whole years studying those three verses. That was his dissertation. And um, at the end of the day, I didn't really understand what he was talking about. So <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that his basic idea is he thinks what's going on here is that Jesus... In his incarnation came down to earth. He descended. And then he lived a sacrificial life for us, died for us, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven in victory over all his enemies, like Satan and sin and death. And, and usually when a king cr- uh, defeats his enemies, the king enjoys the spoils of that victory. But, but our king is so gracious that he took the spoils of victory and gave them to us. And that's the big idea. Jesus has taken all of the spoils of his victory and he celebrates by sharing them with you, by giving you good things and particularly spiritual gifts. And that's what Paul gets to in the next verse, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Paul begins by listing a few spiritual gifts that are particularly for the leaders of the church. So apostles or apostleship, that was these people who were specially gifted to plant churches in completely unreached territory. Prophets, people who could speak encouragement and exhortation from God. Evangelists, people specially gifted to preach the gospel widely to large, large groups of people. Uh, Pastors and teachers, those who are gifted to take scripture and unpack it for people to understand. Paul talks about these leadership gifts because it's these leaders of the church that have been called to help everyone find and use their gift. And that's a a key thing to understand. The work of ministry that God has called our church to do is not being done ultimately by me. I'm not like the guy who does all the ministry at Grace. We actually have failed if that's the case. More, I'm a facilitator. 
I'm here to help you discover your gifts and use your gifts so that all of you can lift up Grace Bible Church, can help Grace Bible Church become this, this mature man that looks like Jesus Christ on earth. So that's the goal that Paul is talking about. That's the point of verse 7 back again, that each one of us has been given grace by Jesus. Each and every one of us has a spiritual gift that allows us to serve the body. So it's really clear in verse 7. It's really clear in, in other passages. Each and every believer, without exception, has been given at least one spiritual gift, and that includes you. If you've trusted in Jesus, you have a supernaturally empowered spiritual gift given by Jesus to you particularly. He didn't sprinkle like magic dust on a huge group of people. He chose you and gave you that exact gift. And he did it to make you a special part of this body, an essential part of this body. I hope that you believe that and that that kind of comes home to you, that you are gifted. I remember... When I was in elementary school, um, I had a hard time through like first and second grade because it seemed like the only things that mattered for a boy were how fast you could run, how hard you could throw the ball, and how much you could make the class laugh. And I couldn't do any of those things. And so I, I felt really insignificant among my peers. And then in third grade in my school district, that's when Gifted and Talented began. And, and Gifted and Talented was fun for me because for one period of day, I would get to go to this special room that was filled with things you built. And if you know me, like that's heaven. Uh, really, that will be heaven for me, things that I build. And so you got to this room and you got to assemble things and build things. And there were teachers who would talk with you. And I was just natural. I was really good at putting things together and figuring out how things worked. And so all of a sudden I realized, wait, I, I have a special talent. I, I have something that makes me unique and, and valuable. And, and that changed everything in my life to realize that I'm not a loser. I, I have something that makes me special. And that is true of you as a believer. You have a spiritual gift given to you particularly by Jesus Christ himself to enable you to serve the body in some essential way. Every member of God's family has a spiritual gift. And there's a variety of gifts listed in scripture. I listed some of them here. This is not an exhaustive list, but things like apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, pastoring, teaching, wisdom, mercy, administration, service, giving, faith, tongues, healing, lots of gifts. Some of them are, are clearly miraculous gifts like tongues and healing. You don't see those as often today in places like the Bible Belt where the church is established. More likely to see them on the mission field where the church is entering new territory, but those are still around. What you see more of here are some of the gifts like teaching and wisdom and mercy and administration and service and giving. And it's interesting to think about these gifts because chances are really good that your gift is connected to some natural ability you were born with. Like ben Stewart or Timothy Atik, they would be awesome teachers whether or not they were believers. That's just how God wired them. So what did Jesus do when he gave them this gift? Well, here's what he did. Jesus redeemed that natural talent so that it would no longer be used for selfish ambition and would instead be used to bless the body for the glory of Christ. That's how Jesus works. So he has taken some natural talent you were born with and he has redeemed it. He has claimed it for himself and empowered it. So no longer does it build your pride or your kingdom. Instead, it builds the kingdom of Jesus Christ by blessing the people around you. 
That's how spiritual gifts work. They're these supernatural abilities to bless other people and to glorify Jesus Christ. And and that's the point of verses 15 and 16, which we read at the beginning, that each of us, as we use our spiritual gifts, the result, the very end of the passage, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's the goal of the whole thing. That this church would be built up in love to look more and more like Jesus. That's why you use your spiritual gifts so that we all can grow together. And so my challenge for you is to realize whatever stage of life you're in, if you've trusted in Jesus, you have a spiritual gift that we need. Even if you don't think we need it, we do. Paul's really clear. Jesus is really clear. We need you. We need you to serve here in this town, in this community. We we need you to use your talent that has been redeemed and empowered by Jesus to build and bless this place. That's true of you who are college students. A lot of times I talk to you college students and maybe you have a church back home and and you think of your time in college, you're only going to be here for a few years. So maybe you come to church on Sunday mornings, but you don't really plug in or invest in a church because you're not going to be here long. But please, that's not true. We need you no matter how long you're going to be here. We desperately need you to use your spiritual gifts given to you by Jesus to serve us however long you're here. That's true. Even if you're a senior and you're graduating in seven months, that's seven months that you can make an eternal impact on Grace Bible Church so that Grace Bible Church can make an eternal impact on this world. Please serve. Adults, that's true of all of you adults, even if College Station is only a brief resting place on your way to the next place. That's what students don't understand. They think as adults, we live here forever. No, we don't. Like the average tenure of an adult in College Station is five years. Pretty much the same amount of time students are here. This is a transitory town. The key is to realize that even if I only get six months in this town, I'm going to make it count. Because while you're here for six months, we need you. Grace Bible Church can't be the Grace Bible Church God has called us to be unless you engage. Unless you use your gifts to serve the body, that's the only way we can be the hope of the world that God has called us to be. And so let me challenge you, if you don't yet know what your spiritual gifts are or how to use them, we have a number of opportunities for you. The first and easiest is to just come here to Southwood on October 11th. So that's this week. I think that's Wednesday, but I don't remember. One of those days, whatever the 11th is. Come up here, 7 p.m., Southwood Foyer. That's the second night of our Discover Ministry thing that we do, but it's the one about spiritual gifts. So just come that one evening. We will help you find and figure out how to use your your unique spiritual gifts. Love to have you at that. Second, you can just go onto our website. We've put a spiritual gift survey for free on the website. Just go to full website slash gift survey. If you go to gift survey, you'll answer a number of questions and it will actually help you to figure out how God has wired you to serve his body. So that's super easy. It's free. It'll take you like 10 minutes. Finally, as you think about how you're gifted and wired, there's a couple questions that will really help you land on exactly what God has designed you to do. Just ask yourself these questions. First of all, what do other people say you are good at? Now, it does matter what you think you're good at, but for some reason, it feels like other people kind of know what we're good at better than we do. They tend to have a better sense of our unique contribution. And so ask your friends, hey, if you had to, to answer... I am really good at blank. What would it be? What is it that I'm really uniquely good at? Here's an example. If you are the guy or girl whom everyone turns to to fix their electronic devices, 
we have a ministry for you. It's our AV ministry and we need more people. So I'm going to plug that. Uh, Sunday morning can't happen. I can't do what I do without really gifted people back there who know their way around electronics. We would love to have you serve in that ministry. Just go talk to them or talk to me, talk to John Mark. Any of us will help you. If you have something that you're good at, that your friends notice, maybe that's how God wants to use you in this place. Second question to ask yourself, what kinds of people do you have a heart for? God often leads us through our hearts. So if, if you find yourself really caring about maybe a particular demographic, like junior high kids, you just really care about them, or, or widows or widowers, you really care about them. Maybe that's where God has gifted you to serve. Or maybe it's a particular nationality or a particular economic group or, or something like that. If God has led your heart to care about a particular group of people, chances are he's calling you to serve that group. Okay, so ask and answer those two questions. It'll help you focus on where God has gifted you. Now, for many of you in this room, you already know your gifts and you're already using them. That's the fun thing about preaching this message is I'm preaching to a lot of people in the choir here. You are already serving Grace Bible Church, and so I just want to say thank you for your service here. Often, I think people think that the church is about like the guy who leads worship and the guy who preaches, and it's not. Ultimately, John, Mark, and I are completely replaceable. We are completely expendable. The church is about the family. It's about all of us doing our part. And in God's economy, no one part is more valuable than any other part. And so I want to encourage you. You are an essential part of Grace Bible Church as you use your gifts here. And my encouragement for you really is, is please don't lose heart in doing good. Don't give up in serving. Even when you don't see the results of your service, even when it doesn't seem to make a difference, you don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. You don't know the difference he's making in eternity. For whatever reason, God has chosen that for most of us, we will not get to see the results of our hard work for his kingdom until the next life. And so in this life, we take it by faith that God will use every sacrifice we make to move his kingdom forward and to bless this world. And so I challenge you, don't lose heart in doing good. Keep serving. Let's pray now for one another and for this body that God would grow our unity and lead all of us to serve. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your church is the hope of this world. We thank you, Lord, that you don't turn a blind eye to tragedy, to shootings, to hurricanes. You, you see all that, and you are actively working against that through the local church. We praise you that the local church, as, as weak as it may seem and as irrelevant as it may seem to so many people, Jesus, you have promised that the gates of hell can't conquer us. That instead that we will push back those gates of hell through the power of your spirit and your word. And we, we praise you for that. And we acknowledge that coming together on Sunday morning as your church unified is worth it. It is worth getting up. It is worth getting dressed. It is worth driving here and fighting for parking to be able to be in this place. Because this matters. Your church matters. It is the hope of the world and it needs each of us. And so, Lord, I thank you that each of these people are here this morning. I thank you for those who are already serving, who are using their gifts to bless other people and unify with other people. I pray that you would help them not to lose heart, but to keep serving. And I pray, Lord, for those who are not yet engaged. Maybe they just felt like they were only here for a short time, so they, they couldn't get involved. I pray, help them to use the short time they have in College Station strategically to make an eternal impact. For those who aren't yet serving because they don't know 
know their gifts. They don't know how to serve. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to to discover their gifts and to find a place to plug in. Help them to come talk to one of us to, to get plugged into this body. We pray, Lord, that you would do whatever it takes to unify Grace Bible Church and to grow Grace Bible Church to be the light and the hope of this world you've called us to be. I pray, Lord, that you would use us to radiate hope and love and goodness to this community so that many would come to know and follow Jesus Christ. Thank you for all you've done. You are good to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week for our special baptism service.